1 John chapter 1. These are the verses that I read earlier when we were sharing communion together. I'm going to read them again so that we can refresh our minds as we go into preach on the topic of getting to know Jesus more deeply than ever before. The Apostle John is writing. Apostle John was perhaps the closest apostle to Jesus. He was within the inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John. And John always describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wasn't saying that Jesus loved me more than Peter. And look how important I am. John described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved because he's giving testimony for all of us so that we too can define ourselves by the love of Jesus. Is that you this morning? Can you say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves? In other words, this is who I am. I am loved by Jesus. Therefore, everything about me, my identity, is defined and shaped by his love. My personality is being influenced by his love. My past has been eradicated by his love. My future has been certified and guaranteed by his love. I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. And out of this great heart of love comes some of the most amazing revelations of truth. I'm talking about out of the mouth of the apostle John. Church history refers to him as St. John the Divine. doesn't mean to say he's a divine person like we use the language today. This meant this was a man who carried knowledge and revelation and experience of God. And so one of John's big key themes is about knowing him. And when he says, I know him and you can know him, He's not just talking about intellectual knowledge. Now, intellectual knowledge is useful and important. But here, the Bible word for knowledge is more like deep experiential knowledge, a real, personal, deep, life-changing knowing God. And one of the most amazing revelations of the whole of the Bible is that we can get to know God and grow in our knowledge of God and our experience of God. And uh, this is such a clear revelation in the Scriptures, in the Christian Scriptures, because it tells us that God's knowledge is available in Jesus when you get to know Jesus, you get to know God because he is the full, sufficient, complete, perfect, and final revelation of who God is. We'll touch on some of those things. But my purpose today in speaking to you about this topic 
is that you would draw closer to Jesus more than ever before, and that you would make it the life, passion, and motivating principle of your life that you should get to know him better and better. So let me read 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I wonder if you catch the emphasis here. John is reminding us again and again that Jesus actually came. And that He was not just an ordinary man born into this world and all the other honors that we might wish to attribute to him, a moral leader, an insightful person, a charismatic evangelist, a person capable of leading people into extraordinary manifestations of the healing power of God, and all the other things that we think of Jesus, the great example, person, showing what love is, and indeed the great prophet who is able to declare the word of God with such authority that he completely blew away all of the religious critics and those who thought they had knowledge of God but didn't. Not just these things, but also that which was so utterly and totally unique about him, which makes our faith so totally and utterly unique in all the history of religions and the contemporary world as well. And what was it that was and is so utterly and totally unique about him is that he was not just these things, but he was also the Son of God coming into this world, God being made flesh and dwelling amongst us. And this tells us, first of all, that our faith is rooted in events, events, actual events that took place. We can say historical events, in as much as they really happened. Christ really came. And the proof of that is not just John's testimony, but all the other apostles who said, yeah, we were there. We were there. We saw him. We heard him. We talked to him. We touched him. Oh, yes, this actually happened, and, and we declare what we have seen and heard. We declare it to you. In other words, in just plain, simple uh, 21st century English language, that means we know because we were there, and we're telling you the truth. And you can believe our testimony. Because our testimony is valid. Now, this would have been particularly powerful in the first century and on into the second century. 
And Jesus died around AD 30, 33, 34, whatever the time was, you know, right there, uh, the, 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 just towards the middle of the, fir- of the, of, of the first century, right into the second century. People were still alive, remembering all these things. And so that was kind of like interesting and important for that day. But that testimony has not lost any of its value, none of its value at all. It is still powerful testimony today. Let me give you an, an example. It's going to be a ridiculous experience, but I'm just going to, you know, don't go away and try and try this, okay, what I'm going to describe now. Because if you try this, you might look pretty silly. And, and if God told you to do this, then you would have, you know, heard from him and not from me. So this is not putting any ideas into your head. You're wondering what I'm going to say now, aren't you, right? But let us suppose that today, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon... The Thames River parted either side of Chelsea Bridge. Parted half a mile up, half a mile down river. And the Thames riverbed was exposed and dry. And the waters piled up like the biblical miracle of the crossing of the Red Sea, okay? Suppose that happened. And let's suppose you happen to be strolling up the River Thames on a Sunday afternoon, and you're minding your own business, enjoying our wonderful winter weather, dreaming about a white Christmas, thinking about walking in a winter wonderland, or anything like that, and you see it, and you say, wow, look at this, the Thames has dried up, and somebody next to you say, yeah, look at that, and a whole crowd gathers, and you are all there. And say four o'clock, it just closed it up again. Now that one hour you were there, you witnessed it and you saw it. And it wasn't just you, because if it was just you, only you, they would say, whoo <laughs> funny. But everybody saw it. And it was clear to everybody. That is what's known as eyewitness testimony. And by tonight, you'd be on television, say, yeah, I was walking here singing Winter Wonderland, and then I saw this, and there'd be testimony, okay? Now then, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, would your testimony concerning what you saw on Sunday, would it be any less valid? No, you saw it. You were there. You saw it. I was there. I saw it. What was it like? Let me describe it to you. I was there. I saw it. What about 10 years from now? Would your testimony be weak just because 10 years have gone by? Of course not. What about 100 years from now? Would your testimony be weak? 100 years doesn't weaken that testimony. What about 1,000 years? 2,000 years. The testimony of what you saw would be equally valid 2,000 years from now, as it was the day you saw it. That's the same with this book. And so, we didn't see, but we have the testimony of those that did. In fact, what is characteristic about our day, and it's different, from the day when Jesus was walking on this earth as the Son of God incarnate, the difference is, is that we believe even though we haven't seen. But that doesn't mean 
that we believe anything anyway. It means we believe for a reason. Now, obviously, God is working in our hearts that we can accept the testimony, but our faith depends on historical, apostolic eyewitness. It's fact. God has come into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. They saw it, and they testified to it. And yet, it's, it's an amazing, amazing miracle if we think about it. First of all, the lesser miracle is that God could do it. Some people think, oh, no, no, that's the hardest thing of all. Hardest thing of all is think that God could do it. How can the eternal, uncreated, infinite, everlasting God become man? It's impossible. It cannot happen. And so people dismiss it and say, no, it can't happen. It didn't happen because it can't happen. Recently, I was talking to somebody who believed that it didn't happen. He says, no, no, no. No, Jesus is not the Son of God, and God did not become man. So I said, how can you be so sure about it? He said, well, it's impossible. God couldn't do that. So I said, what kind of God are you following that he can't do that? I'll tell you something. My God is bigger than your God. <laughs> Even it sounds a bit like a playground thing. My God's bigger than your God. No, I didn't mean it playground. I'm talking about in terms of concept. The God who we serve, nothing is impossible with him. He is so big that he can do it. And if your God can't do it, then you better find the God who can, because he did it. Now, the fact that God could do it, it's a big thing, but it's, it's not the big miracle. The big miracle is, is that he actually wanted to do it. That's the big miracle. What miracle is that? It's the miracle of love. That God says, do you know, I really want to reveal myself to the people of the earth. Why would, he, why would he want to do that? It's all part of his big plan. When he made us, he made us with a purpose. He gave us his image. In other words, he created us with a capacity to know God and to fellowship with God and to walk with him and talk to him and commune with him. And that is our purpose, the reason for our being have you ever wondered, why am I here? Now, I'm not asking you to say, I wonder what I'm doing here. No, no, I mean, why? What's the broad purpose? What's the big picture? You were made for a purpose, created by God for God. And of course, we know that darkness came in, and we've lost that knowledge of God. We rejected him, and, 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 and that's why Jesus said, I, I'm going to come. And I'm going to show them, Father. And indeed, it wasn't just Jesus' idea, because the Bible says the Father sent the Son into the world. This is the heart of God saying, I'm going to reveal myself. And God revealed himself in so many ways, so many wonderful and amazing ways, especially when we think of the history of 
God's revelation in the Old Testament. We're going to read about this in Hebrews chapter 1 in a moment, so get ready to turn there. And the Bible says that in Old Testament times, God spoke. He was not silent. When you speak, it's because you want to say something. When you speak, it's because you want to reveal something. You want to communicate something. And God spoke to us over the centuries from the very beginning when he started to send his servants, the prophets, to speak on his behalf. But when Jesus came, he didn't just come as a prophet. The prophet says, thus says the Lord, this is what God is saying. But when Jesus came, he said, truly, truly, I say to you. This wasn't just a prophet. This is the word of God manifested in the flesh. And Hebrews 1 verse 1 says, God, who at various times... And in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. This tells us that the Old Testament revelation comes in varied fashion and in fragmentary form. That's why you can't just take the Old Testament and think you, you know everything that God wants to say to you. When God actually builds a picture. It's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle. I don't know if you enjoy jigsaw puzzles. Do you enjoy that? But there's some mighty, tedious jigsaw puzzles out there. 1,000 pieces, 2,000 pieces, and you start to begin. And I don't know, if, if you don't want a jigsaw puzzle at Christmas, now is the time to tell people, all right? <laughs> Instead of taking the jigsaw puzzle and saying, well, you shouldn't have. <laughs> no, really, you shouldn't have. But you start with the straight lines, don't you? Have you ever done this before? You know, and straight lines, and you build the border, and you've got the kind of framework. It's a bit, that's a bit like the Old Testament. God sets the parameters, and he starts to build the framework for revelation. And then each piece is added. A bit of detail here, a bit of detail there, but the centerpiece is missing. All the other pieces are pointing to it. And then when you put the final pieces together, who do you see? You see Jesus. And that's what the New Testament is like. It's the complete revelation of God. So, in the Old Testament, as I said in verse 1, I read in verse 1, various times, various ways, God spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. But, verse 2, he has in these last days... The last days, meaning there's going to be no more. In other words, this is the final revelation of God. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And that word spoke to us by his Son is meaning a definitive final word. In fact, the Greek tense that is used here is a punctilia tense. What does that mean? It means it's represented like by a dot, a spot, like a full stop. In other words, it's a single event, completed. So the full and final full stop revelation came by Jesus Christ. So be wary of anybody. They may come from wacky, wakey, wakey-do, wherever they come from. 
wherever they come from, they might say, well, I come from the third planet, farthest from the moon, or what, uh, you know, or I, I woke up in the night, I had a revelation, some angel spoke to me. <laughs> or they say, no, there is a prophet who is to come after Jesus. What absolute contradiction of the Word of God, the Bible. When God sent His Son, His Son was the full and final revelation. And He came and spoke to us. The Word of God made flesh. That's how it happened. It wasn't just a word echoing around where Hubble Telescope now is looking, somewhere all over the universe. No, He came to us and spoke to us so personally and intimately as if He was sitting right next to you today. God spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. That's who He is. Wow, this is pretty magnificent. Through whom also He made the worlds, meaning that everything was made by Him, Jesus, by Him. He is not created. He is eternal and uncreated. In fact, He created all things. And nothing that has been created was created except by Him. Meaning, He is the eternal, uncreated Son of God. Amen. And because He created all things, all things were made by Him. It also means everything has been made for Him. Amen. Including you. Including you. I don't know what your mom and dad had in mind when they brought you into this world. Well, I kind of know, but I'm talking about the purpose for this, bringing you into this world. What was, whatever. Maybe it's like, we're going to have a doctor in the family. Come on, darling, let's make a doctor. <laughs> no, we're going to have a pastor in this house. I don't know what they had in mind. I don't know what their plans were for you. I don't know. Maybe you don't know. And maybe you don't care. I don't know. But I'll tell you something we need to care about is what God's plan is. Because all things, including you and me, are made by God, for God, by Christ, for Christ. And you will not have even begun to live for that purpose until you surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Heir of all things through whom he made the worlds, verse 3 who being the brightness of His glory. The brightness of His glory, basically, the word is, is strong here. It's the outshining. When something is bright, it's because it's shining out. He is the outshining of God's glory. The glory of God shining out. And even in this image, when something is shining out, it is reaching out. It's expressing itself. Just as the sun shines out to us, and occasionally we see some of its effects in England. As I speak, the sun is shining out there. But don't say anything because we will scare it away. Because <laughs> we're teaching here from London. But the point is, is that when, when, the, when something that is bright begins to shine, it's expressing itself. It's reaching out. And it's expressing itself in its essential nature and purity. So God, Jesus, is the full shining out expression of 
who God is. So that Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Amen. Amen. Then it says, not just the brightness of his glory, but it also says, and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. So Jesus is the express image of the person of God. What does this mean? This word express image um, is, is very clear picture word that is being painted here. When you go to the post office and you have a form to fill in and they, you hand over the form and they take the post office stamp. You know, it's one of those kind of machines with a little lever on and there is a rubber stamp with ink on it and they go chukunk and lift it up. And there on the paper, the stamp has left its mark. That's the image here. That's the image. That's the picture that is being drawn here. Jesus is like that stamp that is left. And just as the stamp in the little stamp machine leaves its impression, which is identical to the markings on the stamp, so Jesus is the express image of God's person. Not just he kind of looks like God, but he is ex the exact expression of who God is. Why? Because he is God himself. He shares the same nature as God. That's why a little later, the writer of the book of Hebrews clearly describes the Son as God. And John in his first, in his gospel, makes it clear, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now all of this is not just a little little excursus into Christian doctrine. All right? This is vitally important because it means that God has fully and finally revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. And so when the Apostle John says, that's the life I'm talking about, that life that came into this world and demonstrated the being and the nature and the character and the glory and the love of God, that's the life I'm talking about. That's who we saw. That's who we heard. Now, it's a great deal more than saying, yes, we met Jesus of Nazareth, that prophet from Galilee. It's much more than that. They're saying, we saw him in all his fullness, and we know that this is the word of life that was manifested from heaven. And they bear witness and testimony to that. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel is this gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that we need to appreciate about this is the difference between our experience and their experience. 
See, in their experience, they could go up to ask Jesus a question. Master, tell us this. They would talk to him. They'd sit down and eat with him. And in fact, in some ways, he was so accessible to them that it took a little while for them to realize who he was. We can't do that. We can't do that, can we? Uh, you know, we'd have to go to heaven to talk to him. Then he probably wouldn't allow us back. Say, well, we might as well stay here. And by the way, if he let you in, he wouldn't want to, we didn't, you wouldn't want to come home. All right? So we walk by faith and not by sight. And there's a blessing in this. If you remember what um, Jesus said to Thomas, doubting Thomas. You remember doubting Thomas? In John chapter 20, Let's look at verse 27, John chapter 20, verse 27. Remember, Thomas missed the meeting. So when Jesus came to speak to his disciples after the resurrection, he didn't, Thomas didn't see him because he wasn't there. I mean, when they heard about, he heard about it, he said, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe until I see with my own eyes. Until I put my finger in and feel the wound, I'm not going to believe. Till I see, until I touch. Have you met people like that? And then, next meeting, Thomas is there. And verse 27, Jesus said to Thomas, Okay, Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Because Thomas was saying, I want to make sure it's the real one, the one who was crucified and raised from the dead, and the one who was pierced. Then he goes on to say, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. See, this is how these early disciples and apostles knew that Jesus was the Son of God. It was not just because they saw his miracles. Not just because they heard his teaching. Those things were good signs, weren't they? But Jesus, everything that he said and all that he claimed to be was proved to be right when he was raised again from the dead. This was the vindication of everything that he said. And now Thomas realizes that Jesus really has been risen from the dead. And he said, it's true. You are my Lord and my God. Now remember, this wouldn't have been easy for Thomas or for any of the other early Jewish believers because they were new and were brought up on the great Hebrew tradition found in Moses. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And so he is. We do not believe in three gods. We believe in one God. And that one essential unity of God exists in a diversity of three. God the Father. God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit. But for Thomas, who had this very blinkered understanding of the unity of God and looked upon God as some kind of cold, indivisible unity and it didn't understand that within that unity 
exists a diversity of expression and personhood for him to move from the one position to the other was an enormous step. So something must have convinced him and it was seeing Jesus raised from the dead in his physical body and recognizing that this was none other than the crucified one who was now resurrected in glory. And it's important that Thomas could see that because he had to bear witness to it. He had the privilege of being an eyewitness so we, to be amongst the others what we've seen, what we've heard, what our hands have handled. But Jesus went on to say something thinking about you and us, you and me, us today. My Lord and my God, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Is our faith inferior because we have not seen? No. Some saw and didn't believe. So, it was more than just being convinced that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was taking their faith and putting their trust in Jesus. So you can have all the evidence in the world, but until you put your trust in Jesus, the evidence is of no value to you. So many people saw Jesus. They heard his miracles. Many people had heard that he was raised from the dead. And there was no explanation from that day to this that would adequately explain the evidence that the empty tomb left and all the other aspects of the evidence surrounding the death and resurrection of Jesus. But none of that evidence is of any value to you until you take that evidence and follow it wherever it leads you to the understanding that Jesus is the Son of God and putting your trust in Him. So they still had to trust Him and believe in Him, put their trust in Him. And also, when we today say, yes, we are ready to put our trust in Jesus, but what are we putting our trust in? Is it cleverly invented stories or is it some idea? Well, you know, you people believe in this and we people believe in that. Whether you believe in this or that, it's no, no consequence because it's all just a matter of faith. Faith is not believing something without evidence. And Christian faith, is not believing something without evidence. The evidence is here in history. Examine the evidence. Discover that Jesus came. Discover what he said. Discover what happened to him. Discover the cross. Discover the resurrection. All of these things were historical events. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. All these things were historical events. But that's not enough. It's not enough that Jesus came and did those things. It's not enough that you believe that he came and did those things. You still have to put your trust in him. And that's the difference between evidence and faith itself. Faith is taking the evidence and putting your trust in it. Amen and amen. Amen. Give Jesus praise. So Thomas believed because he saw. We believe because we've been told by those who saw. And as I said earlier, although that's 2,000 years ago, the evidence still remains. Now, but it's not enough. 
He didn't just say, okay, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are everything you say you are. He didn't just say that. He didn't just say, now I believe you, Jesus. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the Lord. I believe that you're raised from the dead. He didn't just say that. He said, my Lord and my God. And that's the difference between an intellectual faith and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the same for us today. Now, today's Advent Sunday. I heard somebody say, what's Advent? Never mind. Not all of you have an Anglican church background or a Catholic background. All right? Advent is the time in the period of the church's calendar when the church begins to do a countdown to the coming of Jesus. Okay? So now we're entering the season of when Jesus is coming or at least remembering that he came. What, what, why is that significant to us? I'll tell you why. Because Christmas can come and go and life can go on the same. The season. Anyway, we all know Jesus wasn't born on the 25th of December. Sorry. But we know that. It's just a day for, for historical reasons, some, some good reasons, some bad reasons, but nevertheless, we accept that we're going to celebrate his birthday on one day. All right? So don't be a party pooper about all of this. Enjoy the season, but more than enjoy it, benefit from it. And I want to say to you pastorally today, and share with you what I desire for my life and for us together. Will you take that as leadership today? I mean, you're right to choose whatever you want to choose. You might say, well, I, he's just the pastor and I just do my own thing. But a spiritual shepherd will want to guide. And this, here's something that I throw out to you. Why don't we say on this Advent Sunday, this Christmas, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to get closer to Jesus. I'm going to know more about him. I'm going to fellowship with him and be closer to him than any other time in my life from here on inwards. Now, I say that, say, well, you know, you're preaching to the converted. Well, I don't know where you stand. I don't know. Maybe you need to come to Jesus. You've never come to him before. And if that's you, you've had at least two or three invitations already by the Holy Spirit through people in this place to give your life to Jesus. Here's another one. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So come to him. I came to faith actually on a Christmas Eve many moons ago, many Christmases ago. And it was coincidental that it happened on Christmas Eve. It wasn't about a Christmas message, it just happened. It was coincidental. But today, you can say, I'm going to enter this experience of the reality behind the Christmas story 
And I'm going to yield my life to Jesus today. I'm going to acknowledge him as who he is. And not just say, yes, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you were raised again from the dead. You know, you could repeat that and probably could train a pet parrot to do the same. But it's about receiving that testimony and putting your trust in it. And if that's you today, we're going to be praying for you in a moment. But for all of us, surely the invitation of Christmas is that we draw closer to him than ever before. And that's why the Apostle John says, we declare this to you, that you can put your trust in it, this message and this truth and this Jesus whom we proclaim, and we can have fellowship together. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, his Son, Jesus Christ. And so this is God's invitation for all of us to draw closer to him through Jesus than ever before and know more and more about him. And actually, that is the agenda for the rest of your life because you will never come to an end of discovering more and more about him, his faithfulness to you. And you say, well, I know that, but you know... Sometimes we don't know what's coming around the corner, do we? Sometimes. Often we don't. But I want to tell you, whatever, whatever any of us faces, he's faithful. Amen. And there's aspects of his love and grace and compassion and faithfulness and provision and healing power anointing and fullness and joy and blessing we haven't even begun and I believe the invitation of the Holy Spirit is to go deeper and deeper with Jesus than ever before amen and amen and the whole purpose of it is is that we should know him and experience him it's not just about head knowledge it's about knowing him so our faith ultimately rests on the revelation of God made known through Jesus. The great facts of history which we celebrate throughout the year at various times, the incarnation at Christmas, the crucifixion, resurrection at Easter, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But it's more than just nice ideas to lift our spirits at various times of the year through church festivals. All these things remind us that God is real and he's drawing us closer to himself. For those who do not know him, he says, come to me. For those who already know him, he says, come closer. And this is my prayer for you, my life and your lives over Christmas. May God give you an ever-deepening relationship with himself this Christmas and forever. Amen and amen.